welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. I'll be speaking with professional singers, actors, choir directors, voice teachers, voice disorder experts, singing voice specialists, touring singers, and other experts. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Vocal Freedom Podcast. My guest this week is Helen Rosen, a singer, vocal rehabilitation coach and lecturer living and working in Barcelona, Spain. Helen shares her journey from her early life in Liverpool, UK, through moving to Spain and where her voice took her once she started teaching. In 1996, she first came into contact with Joa Still's voice training model and soon began interning on courses in Amsterdam and London. She achieved certification to the highest level as an Estill Mentor course instructor in 2003 and also graduated with an MSc in Vocal Pathology from University College London in 2008. She's experienced some interesting work as a vocal coach within the television and theatre industries as well as in higher education. She's been a vocal coach at the Eurovision Song Contest, the Spanish TV version of Fame Academy, as well as presenting lectures on the diagnosis and treatment of specific voice disorders and particularly the role of the vocal coach in bringing the professional voice user back to performance level. So I'm going to welcome the beautiful Helen Rosen. If you, if listeners, if you, could, if, if, <laughs> if you could see her, you would see how beautifully she's made herself up today. And I, But the thing is, I always see her as beautiful wherever I meet her. Um, because I love her passion about the voice community and helping people to um, unpick their voices. And I've, I've worked with Helen for many years now in the still voice training world. So my first question to you, Helen, is how would you describe your journey with your own voice? It started kind of very innocuously, really, because I, mean, I guess I just really enjoyed singing as a kid. I, I kind of um, my dad was really um, into singing. He was a very good singer and I just enjoyed singing not particularly what he wanted me to sing, but I did enjoy singing. So I always, always sang. I mean, I was the typical kid in the bedroom with the with the hairbrush. But I never really considered um, singing anything uh, bigger or grander or different from what I just could sing anyway. I just sang over the top of mostly Dusty Springfield, actually, and, and the Beatles. And, um, oh, and a lot of heavy rock. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be, you know, Ronnie James Dio, really, or, I, or, or Paul Rogers from The Free which is where I started doing all that all screaming and stuff. I did vocal effects because that's what I grew up listening to. And I never really questioned my voice. I just sang. And so then when um, I, I did at the age of 17, start doing um, little uh, folk clubs and things and entering little competitions. And I never did very well because I was too shy. I always had my hair right in front of my face and got zero for star quality. Oh. And I didn't really develop my voice. It was just a quiet, sweet little, you know, it, it, very tuneful. I think I was a good musician, but didn't have, a, you know, anything like a brilliant voice. It was only when I kind of got to Barcelona to live um, that I joined, formed an acapella group with, with some other girls who were kind of, you know, they did have, voices you know and it's like whoa hang on you know I've got to actually make an effort to be heard here 
And that really changed my life because that group became seven people and it went professional. And we, you know, we did the toured all over the place. We did two records. We were on the television. Little by little, I learned just on 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 the hoof to to develop my voice. And you know, I realised your voice is a thing. It's actually you know, apart from the music, there is the voice. You know, so that's how it kind of developed really because of that. Excellent. And so after you you've had this success. Um, what brought you into coaching? The end of that success, ah. because um, the Stupendams, as it was called, was this seven-part a cappella group, um, which had its 30 years anniversary just last year. It was very successful, but it imploded because um, seven creative women can also be very, you know, seven very destructive women. And we kind of had a huge argument and it all split asunder. We're now all friends again. Which oh, is that's lovely. wonderful. But um, it left one living in Barcelona without a job and because it was professional and not wanting to be an English teacher I'd never liked it I was never good at it and I just couldn't see it so in the middle of all that somebody and this is like one of those things that come from the universe a very well-known music theatre singer here had opened a school called Memory it was the first music theatre school in Barcelona knowing that we'd split up she rang me why she rang me I don't know but she rang me and said would you like to teach in my school and I said no and she said, why not? So I don't have any idea how I sing. I don't know how I do it. So what's the point of me trying to teach it? Then about a week later, thought, but you haven't got a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I rang her back with my heart in my mouth and said, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take the job. And that was in the summer. And I spent the whole summer with, you know, books like teach yourself singing, you know, and, and trying to teach myself how I sang so I could teach it to other people. And it started there. Amazing. So when did your journey start? Because um, I, I believe you've got a, a medical background as well. Did you did you do some sort of medical degree? Well, only my parents were doctors. My brother's okay. a doctor. The dog was a doctor. You know, it was I was always surrounded by medical information all my life. And so I was brought up ringing the reading the MIMS catalogue. You know, everyone else was reading Good Housekeeping. I had my mum's drug catalogue. <laughs> ibuprofen and but I wasn't very good at science in school particularly so yes I did I did um go kind of like you know all the way to going I was applying to do medicine when I realized this isn't going to 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 gel but I've mm. done all the previous you know yeah so I'd done biology chemistry physics and I, I knew my, my anatomy um and my physiology enough to know that some of the things they were telling me when I when my very first ever singing class were a bunch of pollocks <laughs> <laughs> Um, but um, so, yeah, kind of. I've had this scientific background, but I pretty much um, rejected it uh, um, because I wanted to travel. I wanted to do really I wanted to travel and learn languages at that point. And it's I still find it amazing that as a, um, you know, a young lady from Liverpool moving to Barcelona. Did you speak Spanish then? No. And, and now you you call it what do you call it? What you speak now? Spanglish? Spanglish. Sp it's Spanglish. It's a mixture of Catalan, Spanish and English. Because I spoke French. I mean, I, as I said, I was interested in languages and I did my undergraduate degree in French and German, but I always sang alongside. I, I was in groups and, and did, you know, film as an art form and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but so that I could live in France for a year and I did live in Paris for a year. So I spoke French. I just fancied learning Spanish. And so I came to Barcelona. I didn't know they spoke Catalan, but um, I, didn't, I didn't really know what the difference was when I got here. So I guess what I started speaking was probably Catalan because it was nearest yeah. to French. And then, you know, over 30 years, I've obviously learned to distinguish them. More it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. I've heard you on the phone speaking in, in your um, 
Catalan Spanglish mix and I just I'm in awe because I've never really um been able to you know go that far with a different language other than English I had a go at French at school but wasn't that great at it so I wasn't either to be honest I mean it was just I did, I did like speaking languages I liked the feeling of being somewhere and understanding what people were saying and I wanted to travel like a lot of people of that age you know? yeah and I didn't like the idea of traveling and not knowing what people were talking about so it kind of was a bit of a drive yeah um and when I arrived in Barcelona I knew that I'd I'd come home that for me was just the the seminal moment was getting off the train and going ah I've come home oh that's what that's so wonderful to go somewhere new and it feel like home and you've stayed there so you've been there long time now 35 years 35 years and you've still got that Liverpool twang a little bit. A little bit. Home, so live, I, in the meantime, you know. It's so wonderful. I wish I'd known my grandfather more because he was born in Liverpool, oh, um, really? but he was of Welsh descent. So I think at some point they moved, the family migrated from North Wales. I think they were in Anglesey um, into Liverpool and he was born there and, and settled there as a young person and uh, moved Same down south. She was from Welsh origin mm. and half Irish, half Welsh. So, um, yeah, I'm interested now in, in sort of, when you, you sort of became a coach, not necessarily having had a lot of coaching yourself, and then you want to take it further. So I remember the story you told on one of the courses about when you first went to see Joa Still do anything. And I, I wonder if you might want to share what that experience was like. That was just amazing. I think it, it, is, the, it is the main moment uh, educationally for me of my whole life up to that point, <clears throat> because she first of all I'd had these weird classes with people talking about head resonances and diaphragms and rubbish and um sorry and that probably really annoys somebody out there but hey I'm old enough now I can say these things you can and um there was this woman all dressed in purple from head to foot and I've been sold this on the pamphlets as this scientific course you know and out comes this woman all dressed in what amounted to a big purple caftan <laughs> And um, she kind of fixed us all with her beady eye and said, well, I'm here to show you how beautiful you all are inside. And I thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm in another one of these bloody hippie. How did they manage to miss this trick? And uh, so my initial thing was like to look at my colleague who was with me and say, you know, what on earth? What on earth are we doing? Um, and then for the next five days, this woman blew me away. I mean, her brain, this woman's intelligence, her integrity, her, her just her, she really was astonishing uh, just by the sheer force of her mind. You know, she's a very, very clever lady. Um, and it was beautifully, as the courses still are, they're very beautifully put together. If you compare them with, with other, um, any kind of pedagogy, this kind of theory practice theory practice is is a beautiful system and it, it just it just blew me away and I'd had very little coaching I'd had four singing classes in my life yeah. and this wasn't about singing this was about this amazing instrument and she absolutely just you know blew me away and convinced me that um like she convinced me of what she wanted to her mission was mm. to show everyone what a beautiful machine they had and I I took up the mantle yes it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're both in, in that camp and, and understand the model um, and teach it. But at the same time, sometimes there's the backlash. Sometimes there's the, the criticism and the um, that side of things coming in these days. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? How do you feel about when it gets a well, bit I'm of bad press? I'm not exposed to it as much in Spain because we don't have that kind of, there's a particular school, sadly, which does this Estelle bashing thing. It's a particular school of 
thought a particular type of people and and I, I we just don't really come across them as much maybe and um I just I don't really mind I mean you know they can say what they want um I just know that <clears throat> when I do a level one and two course for a bunch of people who've never done one they walk out of that room empowered that's you know basically it it's as simple as that do they work do they go out with all the knowledge they could no there's a million things that Estelle doesn't cover some of the science is actually old. You know this about me that I'm one of the people within Estill that's going. Come on, we gotta, we gotta. I can hear Joe in my head. You gotta get you. You yeah. gotta modernise the science. But the science isn't the only thing about Estill voice training. It's got all the the pedagogical aspect, all the aspect of the motor control of the of the proper reception of the mindfulness. If you want to put it in, you know, popular modern terms, she mm. was basically teaching mindfulness for voice what you know what more do you need with hand signals it's beautiful and with you know acoustic analysis our acoustic analysis analysis tool is is very very simple um compared to what you could be using but it's great for um combining with those other aspects so um i don't mind what they say I'm, i'm forcing anybody to come if they don't want to and um i'm happy to talk to anyone about it um i have my own my own criticisms if you like yeah but um it works, baby. Exactly. I think that's the thing is, is when you when it's in the right hands and it's um, it's used, it still helps people. I think it's a fantastic piece of work. Mm. So here's a question for you. With regards to your own voice journey, is there anything you wish you'd learned sooner? Two things, I think, come to mind um, very. I mean, you know, we, we didn't prepare these questions. So this is all spontaneous, which is lovely. I really like that way of working because it, 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 what is important bubbles to the surface. I wish I hadn't rejected singing opera so young. And I think it was partly because that's what my dad wanted me to sing. And that was a bit of rebellion. And I just wanted to sing the Beatles because mm. now I really enjoy the sound. And I'm a little bit beyond uh, post-menopause to really ever get the voice I might have had. And now that I like the material better and the feeling of singing that way, I kind of, it's only a little regret. It's not like huge, but I think, oh, I wish I, I, wish I hadn't rejected that. If I'd known Joe, Joe Younger, I might have, um, I might have gone for it. Um, and the, I wish I'd understood the acoustics earlier in the game, but I'm understanding them now, so that's fine. But I wish that had, I wish that was something that I'd understood better 20 years ago rather than 10 years ago. Mm, that's very insightful. Thank you. So I'm going to ask about any, um, light bulb moments so light bulb meaning like i don't know whether it's something that you've it's that clicking into place um and something that you can then bring into your work with others or your work with your own voice any stories spring to mind of but not connected with Estelle particularly not particularly no anything well right in the present here and now i'm having light bulb moments on a weekly basis (laughs) Okay. With, um, with the programme Voce Vista and the work of, of Ian Howell connected to the work of Ken Bozeman, which you know because you, you've invited him over. I'm having some amazing um, clicks with um, things like auditory roughness, the, the bit of the, the voice that we're not necessarily aware of, of, of training the ear to, as he calls it, pass the spectral envelope. I'm starting to understand that and there are light bulbs going off every two minutes. I leap up, I leap up off my Pilates ball, which I'm sitting on. Oh, nice. I know it's my only way I can keep going the whole day <laughs> of teaching sitting. Um, I'm leaping up off the ball going, wow. <laughs> um, you know, on, yeah. on, on many occasions, there were loads of those moments with Joe, hundreds, mm. because I knew nothing when I met her. So there was a light bulb moment every 30 seconds. <laughs> yes. 
So I can't really pinpoint one. I think maybe you could say that there was a physiological difference between opera and belting, you know, and I didn't know that. Um, that was a light bulb for me. Yeah. Uh, you could tilt a larynx and make the sound sweeter. And, and it was all, there were millions of light bulbs constantly. Um, but at the moment, it's it's this um, listening to the voice at the top end, the, the 10 kilohertz stuff that's going on, the ringing bells, the audio. It's just blowing my mind. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? And the, the science and the technology that we've got our, at our fingertips now, um, I was loving it. I absolutely love it. I was a bit sycophantic when I met Ken because I took both my books, my acoustic books with me and said, can you sign them for me? And I've never in my life asked anyone to sign a book before. He's a bit of a star, isn't he? It's lovely. And I, yeah, I did, I did think he was rather, um, you know, just very amiable and open. And I did like the way, actually, as much as it's scientific, he still mm. brings it back to singing as being something that should be from the soul or you know, it's it's coming from a point of expression rather than just mechanics. Um, so, yeah, but Joe did this. The thing is, that's what people say about micromanagement and mm. paralysis by analysis. These forget the fact that she used it affect for all her, her qualities. Yeah. Where she started was from emotions like sob and, and um, you know, the innocent voice of the child. She, she used an awful lot of that affect. It's just that she did the other thing as well. You know? Yeah. True. It's very, you can't get away from that. So what would you describe as your favourite area of voice work now? Do you, do you prefer being the singer or the teacher? Um, how do you like using your voice most? I mean, for a long time, I'd have said I preferred the, the I was really getting into the teaching. I was really enjoying it. And I didn't, um, I stopped singing when the first, when the Stupendams ended, right up to when I went into Guateca Town. But I'm thoroughly enjoying it now because it's basically guilty pleasures and it's got no stress attached to it. I'm not trying to earn a living. Um... I'd say they were kind of even by now. I like I like um, I like performing again. I enjoy it. I don't do too much of it, and it's it's very very user friendly. And um, between in teaching, it's like between my private clients where you you're actually helping somebody to achieve something, and when you do, it's um, it's wonderful. To lecturing to a group of people like I just have done the university lecture. I've never heard of any of this proprioception or, or motor control and watching all that them go, God, light bulbs going on like must have been for me when I did my first Estill course. It's all great. Yeah. It's very it's rewarding. I don't really have a favourite, I don't think. And tell us about your band. Guateca Town. It formed, yeah. funnily enough, because the, um, the, the group that I sang in the Stupendams, the a cappella group, there was a girl from New Zealand in it called Mary davison and she lived in barcelona and then her sister came to live here sarah davison and they formed a, a duo they'd they'd sung together they were both trained actresses and singers and they'd sung together for quite a while and they formed this little group called bateca town because mary was going to go back and live in new zealand and they wanted to do something together before she left so they just did this 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 gig few gigs with this group um, which was the two of them and a, a wonderful guitarist called Andy Gemmel who played the slide guitar and they were very wacky and very kind of dark country moanings you know just right up my street and I'd go and see them and god this is wonderful so when Mary left whether I'd been sitting in the front row with a face like a puppy dog on but um, Sarah said would you be interested in yes <laughs> I said and that was 10 years ago. Wow. And so on my 50th birthday, um, we uh, did a gig 
uh, three songs for the assorted population. And I just never looked back, I loved it. And we've changed personnel along the way, but it's always been me and Sarah. So I'm just singing with another Davison sister. I'm a sort of Davison sandwich. Oh, that's brilliant though. I mean, and how is, is there, um, is there a, um, actually I'm just thinking if I can splinter this in, if you like, is there a favorite song that's produced that we can play? Maybe There is, well, we've got a record out. There's some stuff on SoundCloud, not a lot. There's some live stuff. And then there's the video, which we did. We did a video clip around about the time that there was the big scandal about Spanish corruption. We wrote a song about it and recorded a video. So whatever you like. I think we do Walking After Midnight in three languages. I can't remember. Oh, that sounds amazing. I want to, and I'm, de- listen, when this is over and the, the, it's safe to fly again, I am coming to see you sing in your group without a doubt. I've been meaning to get back to Barcelona since I was last there. And um, yeah, I'm definitely coming back. And I, I love the city. I've only been once and I absolutely love it. Very nice at the it. moment. Is it, is no it very quiet? It. Yeah, I was going to say very quiet and... It's you, beautiful. It's full of birds. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Have you seen the skies in China now? Yeah. With all, it's just amazing what's happened. The I planet know, seems to be... I really hope human beings are capable of reading the yeah. small print and smelling the coffee. Definitely. So I'd like to ask you now, and I know that you, 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 um, you know, as a, as a, a specialist voice teacher and also working in habilitation and rehabilitation, you've probably got quite a, um, a, well, you have got a very vast knowledge on this next question, but bearing in mind, most of our listeners are probably amateur singers and singers who, you know, from all different levels. So we don't want to get too geeky. <laughs> um, what have you found most valuable in caring for your own voice? For my own voice mm. you know that thing where they say physician heal thyself I'm actually very bad at caring for my own voice because I've always just I always just took it for granted really and it's only after the menopause that I started losing harmonics and I noticed it okay so I've had a sulcus all my life apparently my phone nutritionist said oh yeah you've got a little sulcus there I've never noticed that before which is like a little it's just a little area of not vibrating very well so this was kind of kicking in <clears throat> around the after the menopause so the thing I found the most useful to keep my voice limber is to use it mm. for me because I'm, a, I'm not a hyper functioner I'm a hypo functioner if you like I don't use the voice maybe as muscularly as I should do so two things work for me very well I use Laxvox a lot the bottle and the tube um with the the, the right yeah I've got one right here <laughs> mine's a lot mine's much more casero as we say it's much more just a bottle ah. with a piece of plastic um because it only costs 50 cents yes um but it's brilliant you know with the right me- um, measurements and everything that really helps because I can wander around the terrace in the morning and when it's easy mm-hmm. and then um belting okay because I know how to do it safely. I know that I can do it without hurting myself. So if I, this kind of sound gets my voice into the right place to then do a lecture quicker than anything. That's amazing. Yes. So it's like warming up with a bit of belting. Yeah. Get everything buzzing. Amazing. It's what I do before um, concerts as well. Right at the moment, looking at the acoustics with my colleague that I'm doing, we're looking at um, this auditory roughness thing and what sounds produce this. And I think um, a belt, a really good clean belt probably does produce those little ringing bells up there. And that's probably this kickback that really helps with the, mm. all those things they're saying about that helping with the glottic signal and all this stuff. Um, for me, it works. That's brilliant. Mm. Okay, just gonna take a I don't, I mean, You know, you need to be able to belt clean. 
It's not yeah. like shouting is good for your voice. It isn't. It has mm. to be a clean, doesn't touch the sides, good old Estillian belt. <laughs> I'm all for it. Okay, so what does your voice mean to you? Well, I mean, it's basically, it means everything because I socialise with it, work with it, communicate with it. The way to answer that is, what would hap- What would my life be like if my voice was seriously impaired? And it would be difficult. I, I, I don't know what I would do. Mm. I'd have to re. you know, it, I've, I've often thought, should I have it insured, you know? Because <laughs> I don't know what I'd do because I don't just work because of money. Um, it kind of means everything as um, because I, I I think of it in terms of what would I do if I did if something happened to my voice. I'm not thinking necessarily about losing it completely, but if it if it um, deteriorated seriously, mm. um, I don't know what I'd do. I, yeah, I mean, you can adapt to anything, and you do adapt to anything. And um, you know, I'm someone who who adapts, and I, I I would survive, you know. But it would knock out so much of my. Um, my work is, is is something that I do for pleasure as well. It's a big part of my life, singing, teaching, blaring on and on and on with other geeks. <laughs> um, well, how would I do that if I didn't have a voice? So it means just about everything, really. Uh, um, without that, and it, it doesn't feel so much emotional. In some ways, it's just practical. I think, how would I do any of this? Yeah. The same way, though, my hearing, because I actually went to have my ears um, checked the other day because... I'm I'm quite nervous about that. Mm. And that was me touching my ear, which you can see, and the people who are listening can't. It's <laughs> like I need my ears to be at the best. And obviously, I'm getting presbycusis as I get older. I'm getting a little bit of, you know, my my, my ears are not what they were. But um, yeah, same thing really. They're my tools of my trade. Yes, of course, we absolutely need them working. Actually, episode three of um, the Vocal Freedom podcast, I interviewed. Um, a lady who lives in Liverpool she's from Preston but she lives and works in Liverpool called Carrie Birmingham and she's done a lot of research into um the effects of wearing earbuds or um, in-ear monitors um on musicians Mm. and how it affects their their control of their voice um Mm. whether they're wearing something in the ear yeah so it's like ear occlusion if you've got something in there how that may affect um pitching and um vowel placements all sorts of things it's fascinating work so if you get a chance to have a listen you might like that um oh, I wouldn't, yes I wouldn't mind if you could send me a link to that because that sounds absolutely. very interesting yeah. particularly now that we're talking so much about this passing the spectral envelope and developing the ear mm. and notice these very very specific harmonics that are still within hearing range but they're very very high if you've got any interference you're not going to be able to do that really mm. it's going to be difficult yeah so I would like to see that yeah definitely what voices inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to? The name that always comes up, and there could be many, but the one that always pops up when anyone ever asks me this is Eva Cassidy. Eva Cassidy. Yeah. Because rather like Joe Estill, for some reason or other, she just blew my mind. I listened to her for the first time and thought, well, I didn't think. I just felt. Mm. Um it's the sound of her voice it's her interpretation it's the whole package it's like it just can break my heart that's that's the one that always pops up um the question was twofold yeah it was which what voices inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to 
Well, I suppose actually the inspiring voice might be Joni Mitchell, because in her in her day, this woman just went all over the place. I mean, it, she did. She didn't seem to have any um, any fear of anything. We were that you know up and down musically or, or or vocally. She just was all over the place. Um, but I can't listen to her forever just because almost of that pyrotechnics going on. Sometimes at the end of the day, I just think, oh, a nice tune. Mm. But she inspires me a lot, Joni Mitchell. It's one of the best vocalists ever. And then Eva Castor, I could listen to forever. And yeah. we didn't get much of a chance. I know. It was very, very tragic. Uh, male voices uh, don't come so easily to mind, actually. And I think probably don't inspire me in the same way because I can't pretend to try and make the sounds they make. So it's not quite the same. You don't feel quite so inspired by but I could... I love Pavarotti's voice, but I can't listen to it. Again, it's too big, it's too loud. Mm. Um, and I can't actually think of a male voice off the top of my head if one pops in. Sure. Um, okay. I'll add it in. So if someone's listening who's never listened to Ava Cassidy and never listened to Joni Mitchell, which song would you suggest is a good starting point or something that you've particularly connected with that you think that's a brilliant um, performance or... Joni Mitchell's um, Woke Up, It Was a Chelsea Morning, because I just love the octave jumps and the arpeggios and the diddly-diddly-dees, you know. It's just... And Big Yellow Taxi. Um, yeah. That's obviously, that's an obvious one. But it, 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 um, Woke Up, It Was a Chelsea Morning, da 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 And just the beautiful falling river yeah. of the way that melody goes. It, it, it just puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? And um, Ever Cassidy, what really blew me away, it's rather funny because it's a song that I could never stand. I hated it. And it's called Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to say that. And I hated that song. I just thought it's the worst of bloody musical theatre and I never liked musical theatre and it's because I've come to love in later life. Mm. Um, I heard her sing it and thought my head was going to pop. I thought, how can anyone take a song like that and make that? Yeah. That is, talk about a silk purse out of a sow's ear. It is possible. <laughs> I hate, I'm sorry all the people who love Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but I just could never stand it. And that and Autumn Leaves were the two, but Somewhere Over the Rainbow, there's a moment in Somewhere Over the Rainbow where I just, my heart just literally leaps out of my chest. Absolutely. interprets it. I was only, I, I swear to you, I was only showing a student that performance about two weeks ago because we were talking about um, the subtleties of of dynamics in a phrase and how you can you know change the inflection of of the communication mm -hmm. by putting weight on separate words and I said a master of this is Ava Cassidy because of the way mm -hmm. she she turns out those words we're familiar with in such a a personal way um, I do think she's one of the voices I would always describe as having vocal freedom and that's the the name of this podcast mm -hmm. so my my sort of last question to you really Helen is what is vocal freedom to you? While I'm thinking about that, I've got the boy. I know the boy was who inspired uh, me. Oh, go on. Paul Rogers of Free. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Always. And that, that rocky, that rocky interpretation. Edge. Yeah. And Free as a group and the songs. Anyway, I just thought I'd slap that in before I forgot. Okay. Vocal freedom for me is... Um, is what I think in some ways I've always enjoyed. I think no one ever, I was never in a position where I was anything else, but because I, I never, except when I was a kid and my father wanted me to sing what he wanted me to sing. And I look back and I think, well, 
maybe he shouldn't have, or maybe I should have tried, but it, there was no gelling there and it affected my ability to listen to classical music for a long, long time. I've always felt vocally free because <clears throat> I started to develop my voice away from all that. I went to live in London and I started to sing and then I came here and did a cappella and then Joe and then all this stuff. I've always done what I wanted. I never really put the, the I never really had massive ambitions, so I was never disappointed. I've never wanted to be a soloist particularly. I quite like being a backing singer. I really enjoy being the person who does the third below or mm. the augmented fourth above, you know, I like all that. So I've always had vocal freedom. So it is what I have. It kind of just is what I identify with. Um, no one's ever really made me do anything I didn't want to do. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Yeah. It's it good. just is what, what I feel um, it, I have, if, you know. That's wonderful. I mean, I'm very envious if you if you feel that you're there. I guess that there's the freedom in doing what you want with your voice. Yeah. Um, and then there's the freedom within a song or, you know, if there's a, I don't know, I think I've also think of it as those moments where everything just lines up and it's, it's not necessarily easy on a mechanical level, but it's easy in that it's expressed with such freedom yes, that you're not. But I think you probably, you probably put far more ambitious tasks for yourself than I do. You think, I mean, I'm singing with a woman who's an absolutely impeccable solo singer. And the wonderful thing about our relationship is that I don't, I don't have that. Um, it's not a big ambition for me. My great pleasure and joy is that when she's singing a very strong melody line, she doesn't mind me being a seagull <laughs> up at, you know, C6. Mm. I'm messing about. And I can do that freely because she is such an impeccable singer. And I, we have a great relationship in that way. She doesn't want to do what I do. I can't do what she does. And I don't feel, so in that case, I, I don't have an ambition which I can't fulfill. I just, I just scream and then grunt and then do some vocal <laughs> percussion. And she'd say, you can sing. You always put yourself down. I'm not putting myself down. I think I've got a sweet voice, but it's great that she's so strong that my freedom is to be able to just mess around yeah. that and um and that's brilliant that that does permit me to have the freedom um to not maybe judge it I, I just enjoy it I've never really been ambitious as a singer I think is why I've got free. whereas you will probably take on a Whitney Houston song in public uh yeah I wouldn't <laughs> yes I have um in the past so you need vocal mechanical vocal yeah. freedom and if you're talking about that I don't really know because I've never really tried to sing in public anything I just couldn't do anyway I haven't really made it literally difficult on myself when I fell into teaching as a singer I I felt like I'd come home, like you came home to Barcelona. It, it connected. I suddenly went, oh, this is what I should be doing. Me too. And yeah. it's such a brilliant job to have. And I, I'm, I'm extending that now as much as I can with this podcast to say, you know, I'm going to share all the things that I've learned and speak, to, you know, get people to hear the people I get to listen to who are very knowledgeable about what they know about the voice world and community. Um, and also extending it into well-being as well. So I've recently got into more um, meditative um, practices and focusing on the breath in a rather different way and that sort of mm. thing and, and how that can actually unlock a lot of tension sometimes it's mm. it's really fascinating so um yeah I think this has been a brilliant conversation is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap oh, up millions of things oh I mean, go ahead go on, couldn't we, we could go on I think it's a very exciting time in voice it really is it's a very exciting time I mean all the all the knowledge that we've gained from people like Joe, not just Joe, but people like Joe did all that investigation and all 
um, this kind of crossover now between the well-being industry and singing and voice and um, you know it's a very nice moment for voice it's very it's kind of burgeoning and um, I feel okay I'm, I'm 60 so I'm not like young at the middle of it but I'm still active in the middle of it and it's very very uh, it's very exciting and to, to hear you talking about you know breath control and and then there's people talking about you know um, the whole kind of body aspect and 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 hours and vibration there's so many ways in yeah um that you know it's this massive world of of so many different things and and that's very exciting in itself there aren't enough lives are there so no. i just feel very happy to be part of it and it's really great that i think people like you who have the techie kind of knowledge to start you know making these um these conversations out there it's brilliant it's great i'm feel Thank very you chuffed to have been asked oh thank you helen so I'll, I'll thank you very much now for being a guest on the vocal freedom podcast and uh, i will put links in the show notes so people can come and find you and if anybody wanted to come to you for some oh, advice yeah. you know there'll there'll be ways to contact you there so thank you very much he took his bankroll to andorra Friend in the car. He doesn't blink, he isn't nervous. He learned his lesson from Papa. At the bank, he's got the briefcase. Welcome back, Senor Pujol. Let's clean up the dirty money. He's walking Spanish down the hall. They put the squeeze on La Pantoja. down the hall Felix made a full confession skimming down an elbow boys one of the 400 they never jail a secret car why pay tax on stolen money why pay anything at all Spanish down the hall.
Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.